Welcome to the Bolstered Up Sports Podcast. I'm Brian Bolster. Please follow me on Instagram at bolstered underscore up underscore sports and on Twitter at BS underscore takes. Please share, rate, review, and subscribe. I appreciate all of the support. Today I'm joined by Ethan Poulos to discuss who dazzled and who disappointed in the NBA bubble. We break down each series and pick winners, and we also discuss a couple of teams that might need to blow it up if they don't get it done in the playoffs this season. Hope you all enjoy. All right, newly engaged Ethan Poulos. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, just about a week or two in on the engagement, so that's fun. Um, enjoying watching some basketball again finally, so it's been a good couple weeks. Yeah, it's definitely awesome to have some sports back, and obviously getting engaged is pretty awesome. So congratulations both to you and Jess. It's really exciting. So what were your kind of first takeaways from the bubble? How do you think it went just in general? I think the bubble concept in general has been awesome. Just seeing weeks upon weeks of zero positive tests, players playing as hard as they are and just having such quality basketball games for a four and a half month layoff for these guys just shows, first of all, how good the league is and how much of a good place they're in, but also that there is a potential for it to be successful sports-wise for this bubble concept to work. Um, The NBA is kind of known as that progressive forward-thinking league, and they did a really good job. I think the virtual fan aspect, having the video boards around, added a nice touch on television to where you're not watching it. It feels like it's an empty arena game, like a scrimmage. But it's, just, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun to watch. It's been really good basketball, having some kind of upstart teams almost like a full regular season off, come back and show maybe next season might be a little bit different and get a little pre- almost preview of next season with some of the teams like the Suns and how much of a run they made. Yeah, definitely. I think it went literally as good as it possibly could have. Obviously, you bring up the no positive test. That's awesome. But even from the basketball side, it was great basketball. It was a lot of basketball, which was awesome that we're getting it basically afternoon all the way through to midnight, at least here on the East Coast. So it was a lot of fun. I think you hit the nail on the head, particularly with the Suns, a team that obviously coming into this was completely out of the playoff picture. I guess mathematically they were still in it, and that's why they got invited. But you got to see the likes of Devin Booker, a young player, DeAndre Ayton, work on their game during that time off come back as almost like they did have an extra year of experience. And I think that definitely played out. So I don't know about you, but I was shocked that the Suns went eight and O I'm sure if you would have bet on them, you know, parlayed all those games possible, you'd probably be a millionaire because they were probably the underdog in every single matchup and they won. What do you think about the Suns performance in the bubble? And do you think, it is a sign of what's to come in the future, or do you think it's just bulls gold? I think they're starting to figure out a style of play that works for them. Devin Booker hasn't had a whole lot of help his first couple years in the draft picks with Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris and some of those guys that just were all potential draft picks but not really drafting for actual substance, but hopefully that guy turns into something down the road. Clearly they didn't. But getting eight and having a big that can rim run, do some of those things, sets a lot of pick and rolls, does a good job doing all that stuff on offense. Um, The Cam Johnson pick was mocked pretty big when he got drafted. But he ended up turning into, especially this, 
they were rating him as like the fourth best rookie by the end of the season, especially in the bubble with the guys that are playing. And they kind of drafted knowing that as a 23-year-old, he's not going to get a whole lot better, but he's 6'8", can shoot the lights out. And he's going to fill that role. He's moved into the starting lineup for the bubble, played a big role for them. Booker's been incredible. Just the way he has been able to kind of attack the basket, be so successful getting his shot off, scoring efficiently, and then leading that team and kind of being the leader that team needs, even as a younger player who's going to improve for the next couple of years, just getting even better and getting into his mid to late 20s. Um, they're a team that looks like they could make a run as a six, five, six seed maybe next year, kind of get into the playoff round. I mean, you look at the bottom of the West and those teams are decent. The Mavs might make a run, but some of those teams might start to age out and things might start to happen. So if they play like they did this last eight games, there's a chance they could really, really make a run next season and work their way into being a competitive above 500 basketball team in the West. So a lot's going to come down to where they end up shaking out in the lottery, what kind of draft pick they can get, and then obviously what kind of immediate impact that player can have for them. You bring up an interesting point with the draft pick of Cam Johnson, and it was mocked a lot at the time. One, because I think the prospect of him as a basketball player in isolation is like it's a joke that he goes 11th, especially when you couple that with his age. But I think you're going to start seeing teams draft more and more like that. Basically, at the end of the lottery, they're going to pick a guy that they know can come in and shoot. And it's like, okay, the ceiling might not be incredibly high for Cam Johnson, but we know that he's going to be able to come into the NBA, defend well enough, shoot a lot of threes. And that's a floor that I think a lot of teams are willing to accept. Obviously, you need your players like Booker, but in in today's NBA, you have to surround them with shooters. Now, I don't think that they're going to end up making the playoffs because the West is just absolutely stacked. And you're right, I think some teams will age out. But when I look at those teams, to me, that's like the Spurs, who ended up just missing. The Kings, it's tough to see them really make a jump. But again, that's a talented team that at this point I'd put pretty much on the same level as the Suns. I think the Mavs can only go up. So I think actually making the playoffs will be tough. But I definitely think there is something to this Suns run. You finally see some leadership from Devin Booker. You mentioned the support that he needs. That's starting to get there. And some real substance to his statistics now. Like he's putting up those in meaningful games and in meaningful situations in those games. We saw that obviously it was – popular on Twitter with the game-winning shot against the Clippers, an awesome shot where there's contact on it and he still makes it. And that's a big jump for a young player to make, and I think we're seeing that in him. So definitely you got to be feeling positive about the Suns moving forward, but I think the prospects of a playoff appearance is just too tough in the West, particularly if they keep the same format with, you know, eight teams from each and not just seeding one through 16. Is that something that you see the NBA experimenting with, or is this just, you know, another time that it gets brought up and there's going to be nothing to it? I think of these two playing games this weekend go well. I can see the NBA thinking maybe we can do some sort of play-in tournament for the eight seed in each conference, something like that, where we get this. Or I was seeing something on um, Twitter they were talking about that would be an interesting idea where, you have the one seed gets to pick between like the six and eight seed who they want to play. 
and the other two kind of get seeded based on that instead of so like the Lakers they probably don't want to play Portland I wouldn't want to play Portland I'd much rather one of the other two teams instead of Portland because Portland is I mean they're on fire right now I'd rather play either the Mavs or even maybe the Jazz instead of playing Portland just because how well they're playing um and that'd be something the NBA looks into but if it's going to end up making the NBA money, they're going to do it. And if it adds to the fan experience where it's a little bit more competitive of a game here and there, and they get one or two playoff game type atmospheres before the playoffs start, really, I would be shocked if they try to do something like that because it is a league where they're experimenting with all of those different things. They just experimented with the bubble stuff. They're experimenting with these playing games. Maybe they'll experiment with some sort of either the one through 16 thing thing is probably going to happen in the next five to 10 years. It's just smart. It makes the league more competitive and it adds to a better playoff atmosphere, but it is something that the NBA purists will have to kind of accept and get over just dealing with the original one through eight, each conference West East and go from there. Definitely. It's something that traditionalists will have an issue with. And I completely understand it as far as you won't get those traditional historic matchups you know, in your conferences. You won't get as much of the Celtics versus the Sixers, let's say. Like, that's not going to be – it'll still happen, but just far less often. So that's something that you're going to have to give up. But I do think for the betterment of the game, it would be cool to see them go 1 through 16. Now, you brought up how the Blazers are red hot, and particularly Damian Lillard. He completely exploded. I think he had a three-game stretch – where each game was over 50 points, including a 61-point game, and incredible play down the stretch. What did you think about the Clippers and, most notably, Pat Beverly basically taunting Damian Lillard for missing those two free throws, basically to lose the Blazers the game and, you know, screaming out Dame time? I was watching that live, and I just, like, he goes to the line. I'm like, he's making these two. It's not even, like, it's not – it's Damian Lillard. He's making his free throws. He's been maybe the most clutch player in the league the last five years and misses them both. Even though it's a bubble game, it's really not super important, but still they're fighting to get in the playoffs. And then, of course, there's the smack talk, Pat Beverly especially, but Paul George as well. Paul George really has no room to talk about any sort of clutch anything with all the playoff P stuff, and it's a Gatorade commercial. Um so he doesn't have – they don't have much room to talk. And then for him to just literally go out and just destroy the entire league for three games, get the Blazers into the position to be the eighth seed in the play-in to get to the playoffs, being down four games or whatever it was to Memphis to start, getting that run, getting to where they are now. And then the Twitter stuff where they had to, like, tell family members to chill out because they were the family members getting too involved in it. It's really funny, but it's what makes the NBA such a fun league because you get extra stuff outside of just the basketball games. And that's kind of what makes the bubble fun too because you get to see the players are more like the fans than anybody else because they're on the sidelines. They're more involved because they have to be. And it's more fun that kind of league's encouraging them to get more involved in some of the antics and stuff. So that was really fun. But, I mean, he's been incredible. And teams have been – going under way too many screens. That's one thing I've seen a lot of is they're, for some reason they're dropping all their screens instead of either at least switching and he's killing it. I mean, they're picking him up. He's, he's taken the Steph Curry 
shoot from 30, 35 feet and just kind of turn it into a normal occurrence of their offense where they're setting screens that high now. And then if they go under, he's just going to shoot it. And right now he's making everything. As a LeBron fan, I'm a little worried, but I, th- I think at the end of that series, the better players will end up winning that series because the Lakers are a little bit deeper. I agree with you. And let's take one quick step back before we get into playoff matches and the, and the playing game. The New Orleans Pelicans, kind of my, my second team to root for, just being a Zion fan. I was incredibly disappointed with the Pelicans. Not only did Lonzo Ball play like trash, it seemed like they weren't playing to win. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but it really seemed like they weren't really all that intent on making the playoffs. They were content maybe just to get their name back in the lottery and hope they have just as much luck as they did last year. Obviously, I think they were slotted at ninth last year heading into the lottery and then end up with the number one pick. But the way they used Zion was so frustrating. And honestly, I was a little frustrated with Zion. I mean, I'm frustrated that they limited his minutes, but at definitely at times it looked like they needed to. Like if he played for five minutes straight, he was absolutely gassed. I think – a little bit too much is made of him being out of shape. I do believe he was out of shape, but I think, like, you know, obviously all the fat talk, all the, the stuff like that, like he needs to lose 40 pounds, I think that's a little bit overblown. What did you think about the Pelicans in the bubble? I mean, I think they were disappointing. Lonzo Ball, for having a really good regular season, comes in and plays like he did before he went to New Orleans and just – didn't shoot the ball well, averaged less than 10 points a game, wasn't really a defensive factor. And that's kind of one thing he is known for more than anything, really, is being a long guard that can guard a lot of perimeter players. And then Zion's minute restrictions, I don't think that was completely on Alvin Gentry. I think that was a kind of a front office thing as well, where they're just saying he gets X amount of minutes and we're only going to play him this much. But if he's there on the bench in a close game, you're trying to get in the playoffs, the league is wanting you in the playoffs clearly and you don't play him in close games to start the bubble where you lose a couple and it's like your chances are pretty much over and they were on the first teams that were eliminated from even making the playoffs and have to play a couple kind of meaningless games at that point you're either trying to ruin somebody's chances or if you're playing a team that's already in it's not really you're just kind of getting guys a little more experienced and Zion looks slow but I think that had to do with leaving the bubble coming back he's already a little bit heavier but his defense wasn't good but I think again that's he showed before the before the restart that he was a good defender it's just he was a lot of shape which a lot of guys were but he just shows it a little bit more just with the way he's way he carries his weight in his body and everything and he's a superstar even though he's not truly at that level of player yet he's such a marvel to watch that he's going to get those kind of critics from people just because of how awe-inspiring he is. I mean, you don't see anybody ever that has looked like that and played like that. And so I think he is a good enough player to where next season it's going to go back to, okay, Zion is really good, probably an all-star next year. I don't know how good the Pelicans will be. It's one of those things where Drew Holiday is 10 years further in his career than Zion and seven years than Brandon Ingram. That's kind of their two young building blocks. Are they going to trade him for assets and try to get him out? 
but he also is probably their second or third best player right now and brings a lot of that defensive intensity. So they're in that weird limbo space where do they want to go super young and play for a year or two down the road, or do they go for like they kind of did this year, like a win now and play for the playoffs and then get in and lose in the first round or something. So they're in a weird limbo. I think they'll be fine. I've seen some things that Alvin Gentry might not be the head coach next year. I don't know. They're saying like Jason Kidd is somebody that they're looking at and Jason Kidd gets thrown in all those things. I'm like, he didn't really do much with the Bucks. They like that he was a good point guard. So I don't know. Yeah, it definitely does seem like he gets a lot of credit for the, the player that he was and gets the benefit of the doubt when it comes to coaching. But I'm not sure if you watched the first game of the bubble, the Jazz versus the Pelicans. And the Pelicans looked really good that game outside of Lonzo Ball wasn't shooting it well. But Zion played pretty well, especially started hot. And they gave that game away. Like almost like they lost on purpose. Like, hey, we wanted to come out here. We wanted to play hard, you know, run up and down the court a couple times. But, like, we actually aren't trying to win. We don't want to go to the playoffs. We need that draft. We need to be in the lottery. And it was so frustrating to see him not play like the last eight minutes of the game and just see the Jazz chip away, chip away, eventually win that game. And once they lost that game, it was going to become a lot more difficult for them to catch the Grizzlies and get into that playoff, the play-in game for the playoffs. It was just so frustrating. I'm disappointed. But I do think they are in a bit of a limbo, but them missing the playoffs, I think, clears it up for them a little bit. They'll have a high draft pick, and I think if they were smart, they would stick with the team. Don't trade Drew Holiday just yet because I do think they'll make the playoffs next year as long as Zion's healthy. If Brandon Ingram plays like he did this year, and then if Lonzo, honestly, if he plays like he did during the actual regular season, basically, they'll be a pretty good team, and I think they can maybe get to the sixth seed, but definitely they'll be in play for that seventh or eighth seed. So the Pelicans, probably the team I was disappointed in most, second most, probably the Lakers, and we'll get to them in just a minute. But let's talk about the play-in game, Grizzlies versus the Blazers. Basically, nobody is giving the Grizzlies a chance at all. They lost Jaron Jackson Jr., Triple J, Tyus Stones is out for them. Do you give the Grizzlies a shot? They, I mean, they have a chance. They, they I saw something today. They've held Damian Lillard under, which holding him under 30 points is still him scoring almost 30 points. But he shot 39% from the field against the last couple of times they've played. So they've done a pretty good job defensively against that team. Now, Jaron Jackson Jr. is one of those reasons why, because he's such a long, big athlete that can guard on the perimeter on switches. But I think they have a chance. Now, the way the Blazers are playing and how efficient, how good their offense has been in the bubble – I don't think they're going to win. I don't think the Grizzlies are going to win this. John Morant has been a little inefficient in the bubble. Teams are starting to play off of him and give him some of that like Rondo treatment a little bit where they're kind of playing off and saying, shoot the three. He's nine for 40 from three in the bubble, which obviously is not very good. Um, And his rim, his rim percentages, he's not scoring as much at the rim where he is an incredible athlete. So I think the Blazers are end up going to win this series. I think, the way the Blazers have played this bubble, especially the last three or four games, 
they're on a mission. They want to get in the playoffs. They were in the Western Conference Finals last year. Nurkic coming back and Zach Collins coming back are huge for them because they add some front court depth and Hassan Whiteside doesn't have to play as much because he's not that good. He just adds lots of stats but doesn't really do much to help you win. Yeah, can um, we just, like, make that clear? And I wanted to make sure, like, we hit on that. Like, Hassan Whiteside is not good. I hate seeing that on Twitter. I hate it. Like, oh, Hassan Whiteside needs more talk for best center in the league. It's like, you have literally never watched him play then. Because, like, I don't know what his stats are. They are pretty good. It's like 15 and 10, something like that. But, like, he sucks the soul out of your yeah. team. Like, if yeah. they really knew how Nurkic and Stack Collins were going to come in and play, like, that they actually were going to be that healthy, and they look amazing, especially Nurkic, they probably would have just been like, ah, Hassan Whiteside actually don't show up to the bubble. Like, yeah. just go away because he sucks. But anyways, go on. Well, I mean, you, I don't know if you listen to Lebertard's show because when he was with the Heat, they used to call him Hughes shall not be named. They did say his name on the show because he was like, they know he was just so bad. He always would just – he'd get his four blocks and 15 rebounds, but that was all he would do, and he would just do it so he could say I had 15 rebounds and four blocks. That was it. So, yeah, he – the but the other centers, Collins and Nurkic, have been really good. Nurkic is a really good player, adds an extra element of passing and stuff from their big position, which is why I think they've been so successful. So I don't, I don't think with Jackson out for the Grizzlies, I don't think they really have much of a chance. Um, I think they're minus six today. I think Portland wins going in and then ends up getting the Lakers in the first round. A well-rested tequila drinking LeBron. I don't know if you saw that on Instagram last night, but he had some tequila float in for him or something, so. Uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it's the Blazers, and that's definitely what the NBA and really probably everybody except Lakers fans is rooting for. And even still, I would say I'm probably still rooting for the Blazers to get in. I think it's just going to be more exciting because the Grizzlies, if they do end up getting the eight seed, that's got to be a sweep. I just don't see any way that they can win a game unless John Morant all of a sudden does make six threes in a game or something like that, which obviously he has struggled with. But the Blazers obviously benefited more than anybody in the league from the whole COVID situation, the delayment of the regular season, because Nurkic needed to get healthy as well as other players. So him coming back, and not just coming back, but he's been amazing. I think one of the bigger surprises, and definitely takes their team up a couple levels. Then you combine that with Gary Trent Jr., Aduki is absolutely killing it. Like, he looks like, you know, he's not just showing flashes anymore. Like, he's going to be a very solid pro at the end of a starting rotation. But, you know, he can be your definitely, like, fourth, fifth option to score on your team. And the three-point efficiency is just something that's awesome to see, the defensive ability. So, I think the Blazers are trending in the right direction. When it comes to the series against the Lakers, I don't see it going more than six games. And I think it's setting up to be a very familiar story with what we've seen out of Dame Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers in the playoffs, and that is Damian Lillard will go off for two to three games. They'll win those one to two, and they'll be able to push it to six. But he's not going to be able to completely carry an outmatch team for a seven-game series. And he's going to come off this hot streak and he's going to have some games in the playoffs where he's inefficient. He's going to shoot that right at 40%. It's going to happen. And especially because he's going to come into this 
playoff series with probably more confidence than ever. And I think at the end of the day, it's just not going to be quite enough. I have my questions about CJ McCollum, but do you think that the Blazers will make this an interesting series? I know Charles Barkley has already said that they're making it not only past the Lakers, but to the finals. Do you give that any credence? I have Lakers in five. I think CJ's back, the fractured back he's playing with, which is just a crazy thing to think of. Somebody's playing with a back injury and playing NBA basketball and playing pretty well still. Even though the Lakers don't have some of those perimeter defenders that they had previously, I think Danny Green can do enough with Lillard. And I think switching, I think Davis obviously is a freak and a really, really good defender. LeBron has bought in on the defensive end a little bit more this season. And the last time you really had to guard a point guard like that was Derrick Rose, even that was like 10 years ago. I still think he can pull those kind of one or two possessions here. They're out from him to get that stop. And the Lakers are just good. I mean, they're a really good team, though they haven't played well in the bubble. But LeBron in the playoffs has been a different animal, and he's more rested now than he's ever been going into the playoffs before. And I know it's year 17 or whatever, but – I'm sticking with him until they play somebody that is just a better team, like when they played the Warriors. I just don't see – I don't see LeBron losing a playoff series in the West this year for sure. I don't, I don't think there's anybody in the West that can really match up with just how good he played this season and how good of a player he is and well-rested. I think LeBron is really going to turn it on in the playoffs and have a really good playoffs season like he has in the past. But with – the help of Anthony Davis, they're going to be able to get through the West, I think. I definitely hope so. I've got my questions. And I know there's been a lot made of, well, the rest is so good for LeBron. I'm just not so sure about that. The Lakers were hitting their stride right as the season was postponed. Like, they were definitely playing the best in the league at that point, and LeBron was playing great, probably the best that he had all season. Then you put that on hold for a couple months, come back, he obviously showed some rust. And I just wonder for an aging body, if it's really a good thing to put everything on hold. Now, I'm sure he was training, don't get me wrong. But I almost wonder if he overtrained I guess if that makes sense, and who knows, I'm speculating a lot right here, but I just wonder if maybe he did too much and actually his body's a little bit more tired than we're thinking. And again, I don't want to put too much stock into the bubble games, but he did not look good in the bubble. I know in the Clippers game, he had some good possessions here and there, but particularly on offense, he just seemed to be a step slow. And that worries me because I know people can throw out the shooting stats for LeBron and they've improved. And if you just look at the box score, it's like, okay, yeah, he's a pretty good shooter, but you have to put that in context. Like he's a pretty good shooter now, not only because he's really improved that area and worked on it, but also they don't play him tightly on the perimeter. Like they give him that shot. And that's something that I hope Zion improves because, and Giannis for that matter, Because those kind of freak athletes, no matter what, even if you are shooting the league average at 35, 36% from three, teams are still going to give you that. Because if they don't, you're absolutely going to kill them at the rim. And it worries me because, at least from what I've seen, I, I think he's struggling to get to the rim more than he has in the past, which is obviously just a crazy standard to still be held to in your 17th year. And then the second question mark I have, and I... 
I feel like everybody's giving Anthony Davis pass, but like we have seen him shrink and pull an Andrew Wiggins. I won't quite say Harrison Barnes, but like and just kind of go ghost for a while in matchups where like he should totally be dominating and he goes three for 11 and is like non-existent. He's shown the ability to be pushed around. To me, he comes across as soft in certain situations. I think they handle the Blazers, but if we're going to look just a little bit forward, the Clippers definitely can challenge the Lakers. They've shown the ability to slow down LeBron. If the game does slow down and turns into a half-court game, I would definitely be putting my faith in Kawhi Leonard over Anthony Davis, which is basically how that matchup will go. Obviously, LeBron will get his, but what the series is going to come down to is Kawhi operating in the half court and Anthony Davis operating in the half court. And I'm just worried about Anthony Davis. It feels like nobody else is, but I'm definitely still there. I mean, is are you not worried about him at all? I think he needs a little bit of a confidence boost. I think this Blazer series will kind of give him a little bit of that. I think their first two rounds – even if they play, I mean, if they play Houston, he's the biggest guy by six inches on again, on that floor most of the time. And then if they play Thunder, Steven Adams is big, but he can't guard him on the perimeter and do things like that. So I think the first two rounds for the Lakers will help kind of boost that confidence back up. I think they're going to start playing better. I think LeBron's the one guy we've really been able to see that can flip some sort of switch in the playoffs, and he goes from a decent regular season even though decent for him is one of the best players in the league to being outright best player in the league again pretty easily. I think we're going to see that switch flip. I think they're having a little more time. They were the last couple games they were seeing on the bench, having a good time together. I know there was some of the talk about the Lakers not congelling and not being as cohesive, but I think also that's some of LeBron's mind games to get them to rejoin together and start to play better. Or maybe Again, I'm Dwight putting, Howard. I'm <laughs> yes, I'm but he's played pretty well. I'm putting a lot of I am putting a lot of my faith in LeBron, but it's been pretty successful for the last decade. Um he makes the finals pretty much every time he makes the playoffs, so I'm not putting any faith in him not to make the playoffs. If he if he's in the playoffs, he's making the finals. I, I I really have a feeling they're gonna make it to the finals again this year. He's just too good. I think we'll see a really tough series with the Clippers, but I don't think the Clippers are as good as people think. I don't, they haven't played together at all. I mean, their best four, four or five guys haven't played together and they're, they're relying on a Lakers X bench center to be their like X factor and Zubak playing the five for the Clippers right now. So I just, I don't see the Clippers I think they're going to have a tough time getting to the conference finals. I think their first two rounds matchups are going to be pretty difficult, especially with the way the Nuggets young guys have kind of stepped up and the size the Nuggets have and everything. I think it's going to be a little bit tougher for them than the Lakers to get to the conference finals. Yeah, I agree with you that they have the tougher road. Although I would much rather be playing the Mavs than Portland. That's just me. But after that, definitely the Nuggets are playing great. I will say, again, having your faith in LeBron is a great place to have it. They're still my pick to win it all this year. Now is just really the first time that I'm questioning that this season. And if LeBron can flip that switch back to how he was playing in early March, that game against the Bucks, he was definitely the best player in the league at that point. 
I think he can get back to that, but I, I just worry a little bit because I don't think there's that room for error that there has been on other teams slash when you're going through the Eastern playoffs. I just don't think there's quite that room for error. And although Anthony Davis is probably widely regarded as a better player than Kyrie, oddly enough, I would say Kyrie is more dependable in the playoffs. Now, obviously, Anthony Davis can really change that and flip the narrative. I hope he does. But I'm just questioning that for the first time all season, which is an uncomfortable place to be. But let's get to the Clippers and their first round matchup against the Mavs. The Mavs look great at some points in games and a lot of times for about three quarters, three and a half quarters, but have completely struggled to close games, whether that's against good competition or poor competition. They just seem to struggle down the stretch. I'm not sure if that's just based on the youth of a Luka Doncic or if they're still struggling with their team identity and like what should we go to at the end of games because it seems like their defense, first of all, is absolutely future. They maybe play the worst defense in the league. I don't know. Their offense, I believe, is the most efficient. But it seems like down the end, you see Porzingis settling too much for mid-range jumpers, and you see Doncic get a little bit out of control and lose his efficiency, fall in love with the 30-foot step back a little bit too much that he loves. Do you think they can challenge the Clippers in this first-round matchup? Yeah, you said they have the most efficient offense. They have actually the most efficient offense in league history, which is crazy to think. Like, their offense has been that good this season, but then they can't stop anybody. So they're almost giving it right back on the defensive end. The Clippers are going to win this series. I have Clippers in six. I can see Clippers winning in five. I don't think it's going to be more than six. I think the Clippers are going to do pretty, pretty easy work of them. Luke is going to have a game or two where he gets really hot, um, but – the Clippers do have two of the best wing defenders in the league to bother him with Kawhi and Paul George. So I think, I think that the Mavs can get a game or two off of them just because of how good Luka is. But defensively, they're not going to be able to stop the Clippers enough to win the series. The Clippers, the Clippers are really good. When Paul George and uh, Kawhi play together, they're 17 and 7. They're going to win this series. The Mavs are good. They're going to be good for a while. They're really young. They're figuring out Rick Carlisle's an amazing coach, so they're going to be good for a long time. They can keep this core together, but it's just one of those things where the Clippers are much better right now, and I don't see this being too much of a challenge. There will be a game or two where it's close and the Mavs might pull it out, but I just don't see this being too much of a challenge for the Clippers right now. And with the Clippers, it might be a good chance for them to start gelling as a team and kind of getting a little more uh, unity and all that fun stuff that they haven't had all season. Yeah, I agree with you that the Clippers are definitely going to win this series. I have the Clips in five. I think there's going to be a couple games where the Mav the Mavericks are leading going into the fourth quarter, but they're going to disintegrate in the fourth quarter. It's going to slow down and Kawhi's going to pick them apart. I think they're built to stop a player like Doncic. I mean, he's great, so he's still going to get his, but I think you're going to see his efficiency come down. And it's going to come down to the zinger. Kristaps Porzingis is going to have to dominate for the Mavericks to have a chance. He's got to have a massive size advantage over anybody that the Clippers can throw at him. But I just don't see him coming through in order to upset the Clippers. I just don't see that happening. Um, but I do think the Mavs will make it an interesting five-game series. 
Like, I think it's going to be pretty high scoring. I think a lot of the games will be close going into the fourth quarter, but then it slip away from them. One last thing on the Clippers before we move on from them completely. I think you bring up a good point that they're getting too much credit for how deep they are. But role players don't win the playoffs. Like, they don't win playoff series for you. Your stars do. And I definitely give the Clippers a chance to make it to the finals. But still at this point, I'm going with LeBron James over Kawhi Leonard. I might be holding on to the past. But to me, you couple that with playoff P, and I feel pretty confident in the Lakers. We'll see. But I just – I hate hearing like, well, the Clippers are the best team by far. They're definitely going to win because of Lou Williams or because of like Montrez Harrell. That's not why they're going to win. They're going to win because Kawhi's awesome. And then probably like Paul George will have to break out of his playoff P slump. You know, that's, that's going to be the reason, not because of their role players. But anyways, moving on. Let's get to the Nugs versus the Jazz. The Nuggets are 3-0 versus the Jazz this year. I'm definitely betting on the Nuggets. Who do you have? I got Nuggets in six. The Nuggets are really good. They're really, really deep, and they have the best player in this series. Probably the best two players if you look at the way Michael Porter Jr. is playing right now. But Jokic is the best player in the series. He pulls um, Gobert away from the basket, which allows even more finishing around the rim. Um, he's such a good passing big man. He's so good at initiating their offense. And then the Nuggets have so many wing players they can just kind of throw out there and get buckets from that they're going to be a really tough out in these playoffs, I think. I think they're really going to push the Clippers in the next round when they get to them. But adding Michael Porter Jr. almost like back into the mix and adding this like wing player that is shooting 50 40 90 in the bubble and is getting his buckets efficiently and through the offense as a former number one recruit having bull bull come in even though it's more of like kind of like a zion like holy cow this dude's huge he's pretty good he was the number four overall recruit he shoots the three decently for his size and he's massive he's able to go in there and do some things off the bench they can throw waves of players at you that are all very similar. And then Jokic can do all of the offensive creating and stuff like that from his big man position. I think they're just a good team. They're going to be a tough out. There's reason they're the three seed and we're challenging for the two seed here in the bubble. And then the Jazz, I like Donovan Mitchell as a player. I just think he's decent. He's a top 30 player in the league. He's not that great. He's a young player. And he's really inefficient and people like inefficient young players because they're gunners and they're shooting the ball a lot. But a year or two from now, when he's doing the same thing and shooting 40% from the field, it's like, okay, you need to stop shooting so much and be more efficient, get to the line more, shoot better from the three point line. But right now he's good enough at the end of the game. So I think win them a game or two, the jazz are a good team, but I don't think they have the star power or the depth really that the nuggets have to really pull this one out. I think you hit the nail on the head with the Nuggets have the best player in the series. And typically that's how these things go. The team with the best player wins the series. And that is the Nuggets. Jokic to me is still very underrated. I think he's definitely better than Embiid. Maybe not in just what their ceiling is, but he's so much more consistent than Embiid and his passing ability. I would definitely have him as the number one center. You couple that with 
breakout star, Michael Porter Jr., if he's able to keep this up, they really are going to challenge the Clippers. Now I have some questions about that because typically young players fade in the playoffs. And I think if you're a Nuggets fan, you're really looking for Jamal Murray to be more efficient. He was way too up and down last year in the playoffs. And then a big question, Mark, you talked about them being able to throw waves and waves of particularly wing defenders, three and D guys, is Gary Harris and Will Barton need to come back healthy. If those guys do, they really line up similarly to the Clippers. Now, I know their offense is facilitated differently. It's out of Jokic versus out of Kawhi, but I think you're going to see a great matchup, potential matchup in the second round there. I think the Nuggets move along pretty quickly in this series. Again, I see like five games. I could see six because Donovan Mitchell does kind of have a DeMar DeRozan-esque element to his game in the half court and could close games pretty well for them. I personally think Rudy Gobert is one of the most overrated players in the league. His defense is great, but he's a zip on offense. Like, he's a zip, and especially in the half court, and especially he's starting to get some of that, like, Dwight Howard. And it's really, I guess, what all centers do, like, feed me the ball, let me work on the block, and it's like, Rudy Gobert, that is not you. Like, <laughs> you, we're not getting you the ball on the block. Like, we don't want you shooting. So I know that's caused a little bit of a rift in their team, and it's going to be interesting to see how that team moves forward because are they going to try to just stick in this perpetual where the sixth seed, fifth seed, and get bounced in the first round unless we can match up against Russell Westbrook? So who knows, but let's move on to a Russell Westbrook team and hit on the matchup of OKC versus the Rockets. This is definitely the series that I am – most excited about a lot of drama and a lot of trash talk in this series I'm sure in the games and in the interviews it's going to be nothing but fireworks what do you think about the matchup between the Thunder and the Rockets well with Westbrook not playing the first couple games I think the Thunder wins seven I think Chris Paul is just gonna go nuts I really do he's been Probably the best point guard since 2000, just based on longevity. Chris Curry's probably going to end up being the better player in the long run, but I think Chris Paul's career looks a little better overall right now. I'm you got to quit Paul. that. Just quit that. I'm take, quit it. I'm just, I'm just, I want to save you and just edit that out. Come on, man. It's Curry. I'm just, so it's Curry. I'm telling you, I'm telling you Chris Paul's. A, if you put him on a team like that Warriors team, they're winning multiple just like Curry did, and he's winning one of the finals MVPs. So, <laughs> you no, no, you have yes. no evidence for that. Chris Paul, I love him. He has a little bit of playoff scars. Like, he's not – you're giving him way too much of the benefit of the doubt. Curry, we've seen him do it. He's been more efficient as far as scoring. He's shown that he can shoulder more of the load. And I think he's so underrated. Like, it's still crazy to me that Curry is underrated. Not many stars can do what he did, get off the way that he does, and still have everybody else happy and productive. Like, him getting his points doesn't take away from anybody else. I don't know if there's another player in the league that's like that. I love LeBron, but he does make it harder on other players in a way, or they have to fit into a box. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Like, if you play with LeBron, you have to fit into a box to make it work. For Curry, I don't think there is that. 
you know, a lot of, of talk in football is about with wide receivers and the gravity that they have on the defense, that gravitational pull with the yeah. safeties, with everything. Like, that's what Curry is. Like, he doesn't get enough credit for that, that he stretches the defense out so far. And I think he's just still underrated, which is crazy. No, but, I, I, I agree with you that Curry is going to be the better player. And is And his peak is definitely higher than Chris Paul's was and will ever be. I think Chris Paul's career right now makes him the best point guard since 2000, even though Curry has done more. It's Curry didn't play this season. He has the multiple injuries. I'll take Chris Paul. And the way this season has went out for the Thunder, where they probably shouldn't have made the playoffs in the first place, if you look at the roster just constructed, and to end up being the five seed and playing against his former team that traded him for Russell Westbrook, I really think – he is known as like this like grudge holding kind of like cantankerous old man. And he's been known like that since he played at Wake Forest. Like I think he's going to be just absurdly good in this series. I think they're going to win. Um, Westbrook being out definitely helps, but I just don't see the Rockets with this super, super small ball lineup without their second best player in being able to make this series successful for them I think they're going to win a couple games Harden's incredible he's maybe he's a top five scorer maybe ever he just I mean he can get buckets in so many different ways he's so efficient but they're shooting 49 threes a game since the all-star break that's an absurd number they shot 60 something in one of their bubble games I was watching I forget who they played against but it was early so you have guys like that playing for the Rockets who are going to get a lot of shots up but without their second best player, their spark plug, energy guy, and P.J. Tucker's not 100% either, who is their kind of host defender in these lineups because he's just so thick. I don't see the Thunder or the Rockets really being able to overcome all those kind of injuries and disadvantages they have to end up winning the series. I think if Russell sits three games, the Rockets might lose in six. If he sits two, I think they'll get it to seven, and I think they'll lose in a game seven. Yeah, definitely Russell Westbrook being out for a couple games. I was already leaning towards the Thunder, and I'm not going to say that I'm not biased. I'm definitely rooting for the Thunder. And him being out, Russell Westbrook being out a couple games, definitely gives them the edge, in my opinion, because they're going to become so heavily dependent on James Harden. They always are, but it's going to get to such an extreme that he'll probably have like a 45-point game, and they'll win it, and it'll be awesome. But he's going to have – some games in the playoffs that we've seen him have in that he's going to have a stretch where he goes one for 10 and he's going to have that cold streak. They're going to start double teaming him at half court and just putting the pressure on him nonstop. I think the Rockets have to feel like fools that trade could not look worse, at least at this point where they basically begged the thunder to take Chris Paul from them. And then the thunder, they actually have the same record which is still a bit embarrassing. But if this were an actual playoffs, the Thunder would have the four seed. They would have home court advantage, which is too bad that in this series there isn't that. That would just amp things up even more. But hopefully, you know, Russell Westbrook is known for talking a lot, as well as Chris Paul. So I think we're going to get to see some of that in the bubble. And I'm sure we'll see some flare-ups because it's personal with Chris Paul all the time no matter what, even when there isn't an issue, he'll make one. And now there actually is some substance to that. I'm sure he's going to be going at 
especially James Harden, he probably feels like he got thrown under the bus that, you know, he was blamed for the reason that they didn't make it to the finals. I think the Thunder are going to win this series. SGA is incredible. They have great wing defenders on that team. And then Chris Paul, I'm hoping that he'll take the step forward now that he's matured even more. He's hit another level, really, in his game. It's different, obviously. It's not quite as flashy, but the way he orchestrates everything out there on the court is just awesome. And I would love nothing more but to see the Thunder win this series and just there being – I'm sure – the fans of James Harden and Russell Westbrook will come to their defense. They've already got the built-in excuse that Westbrook's going to miss a couple of games. But if Houston loses this year, they've got to make major changes as well as James Harden. He's going to have to make changes in his game that you can't win that way where you make the offense so stagnant. It sucks to watch. It's fun to watch just him but their offense sucks to watch. And so that's definitely what I'm hoping happens. Westbrook has been incredible since the new year, really. He's averaging like 38 and seven since the calendar flipped and they started going to that super small lineup. I really think Maury is kind of stuck in this. I think it's like, we're going to win one playing like this. Like it's going to happen. We're going to prove everybody wrong. I think he's a little stubborn about it. And I think they have the coach that's not going to, change that like they they like running that kind of style D'Antoni is not really known for anything other than playing really fast and he's really been looking for this player like Harden his whole career coaching so with that I think they're going to run it back next year they might try to add a couple more of them like the longer three and D wings or try to get somebody that's like a little bit taller but is still like a wing type player that might be able to defend in the post a little bit but I really think that they're just going to look at this as like, okay, we showed that if we have both of these guys playing this way, we're going to be really good because they made this huge run to get up into the playoffs where they are. And they're just going to try to do the same thing next year and run it back. I think they're going to be stubborn about it until it's like Harden isn't the player he is anymore, where he might set crazy records with his scoring and his three-point shooting and that kind of stuff, but he might never have the – championships or even the playoff success that he could have if they had changed their style just a little bit to fit him a little more but also to fit a more successful team aspect where they're playing off of other guys yeah I mean to some degree their hands are tied that trade with Chris Paul they gave up a lot of assets so it's I mean they aren't really in a position where they can trade Russell Westbrook because they would it would have to be a similar type trade where they're giving teams first round picks to take Russell Westbrook's contract. And I just have a feeling that not only after this season, but after next season, like it's going to be a depressed fan base in Houston where you're basically realizing we're stuck with Russell Westbrook's awful contract. And he's also aging as well as James Harden. Like we missed his window. I think at that point, he might have to be the number two on your team for you to really win a championship. And I'm not sure that he'll allow that if he'll be willing to take that step back in his specific role. So it would be definitely something interesting to see. That is the series that I've got my eyes on. And I think it's going to bring the most fireworks both on the court and off. So I'm really excited about that one. And I, I will be rooting for your boy, Chris Paul, but 
you gotta you gotta back off him better than Curry. Like you you just gotta back off of that. But let's move on to the East and so let's pick up the pace a little bit. Bucks versus Magic. Gonna be an awful series no matter what. <laughs> it just will. Like the Bucks should sweep them and the Magic suck. Or if the Magic win a couple games, that means it's just a trash quality of game and Giannis is hurt or something. Like this is just gonna be a bad series. Do you see the Magic even pushing it to five games? No. I got Bucks in four. I got the Bucks winning the whole thing this year. Kind nope. of as a no jinx to LeBron, because I am just <laughs> saying I'm a LeBron fan, so I'm saying like I'll pick the Bucks to win, but I really want LeBron to win. So I do think the Bucks are really good. I think they're the best team in the East by a decent margin. I think they showed that with the beating they ended up putting on the heat there in like five minutes where they were down and they ended up beating them by 14 and covering the spread and all that fun stuff. They're just, they're really good. The magic aren't really good. So the Bucks, I mean, the Bucks are winning this series in four. Sometimes it's that simple where one team's really, really good and one team isn't, even if the magic technically are playing seven games at home. Okay, cool. You're playing in Orlando. You're still going to get swept. You just want to travel as far to go home after you lose four more games. Um, yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, it's it is that simple in this series. Like the Bucks are just way better. Um, they've obviously had historic regular seasons the past two seasons. I have my I have major question marks about their ability to get it done in the playoffs and most notably probably like Eastern Conference and Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Finals. Do you still think that's going to be an issue for Giannis and the Bucks? Oh, when, when the stakes get heightened, you're playing good competition. They take away your fastball, which is Giannis getting to the bucket. What do you think? The, the three-point shooting for them hurts – not hurts, but they're 18th in percentage and fourth in attempts this year. So they are not the best three-point shooting team. Obviously, Giannis is a part of that, but because of his just ability to collapse everything, some of the threes they're getting are pretty easy. Middleton is a really, really good player. Um, he fits his role really well, shoots really efficient. Um, so he, he does what they ask him to do. But their defense is so good. I really think this year with the East and no Kawhi in the East this year, I really think they can get through the East. And they might need to. This might need to be their year because with the Nets adding Kevin Durant to the mix next year, it might be a completely different looking Eastern Conference with maybe the best player in the league joining that conference next year to play in his first season in the East. Yeah, so but let's get on that real quick. Like, first, Raptors are beating the Nets, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, okay. No I think question. Chris LaVert no maybe will go off for a game, but, like, past five games, I just don't see it. The Raptors have nine guys that can create for themselves. They're, I think, easily the most well-rounded team in the league. But with the Nets, are you buying that next year they will be the co-favorites with the Bucks to represent the East in the finals? I'm not a big Kyrie fan. I think you know that. So I, I think I think they'll be really good, but I think they're going to be one of those teams that is moody. I think like Kyrie has some weird injury history stuff. So he has had some weird, just like he doesn't play full seasons. We don't really know what's going on. He has games where he just like, I don't want to play tonight. Kevin Durant's a baller. That dude is so good. He's probably the best scorer we've ever seen just based on size, ability to shoot the ball, and everything he has going for him. But is the Achilles injury going to take some of that away? Is he going to come back a little bit less next year? That's a hard injury to come back from. We've seen it really hamper some guys 
I don't see them being on the Bucks level if the Bucks bring everybody back next year, but I think they'll probably be the number two in the conference just because Kevin Durant's so good. The East hasn't – it's been a couple – they had Kawhi last year, but this year Giannis has been that guy, and then they'll have Giannis and KD as kind of being like the two best players in the East. They're still just the Nets. I don't see them being like they're going to go to the finals or anything, but they'll probably be a two or three seed in the East next year. But the Raptors, like you said, I mean, without a true super superstar like last year with Kawhi, Nick Nurse is I, – I wrote it down. I think he's the best coach in the league that's not pop. And I think he is young enough to be that guy whenever Pop retires. We're like, okay, that's the best coach in the league. He's not going to win coach of the year every single year, but he is the best coach in the league. They're changing defensive schemes every single night. They're just confusing teams. They have so many bodies to throw at people. I think they're really good. I think they're going to struggle against Giannis and the Bucks because they don't have that one guy that can really match up with Giannis. But I think other than that, I think they're the second best team in the East and they've kind of showed it all year. They have the second best record in the league. So, Yeah, it's incredibly impressive. I'm right there with you as far as Nick Nurse. I think he's easily the best coach in the NBA. And I think they will push the Bucs. I think they're going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they're going to push the Bucs. Like Giannis is going to have to take that step forward in order to beat them. In regards to the Nets next year, I think it's all going to come down to their health. There's no doubt that team will be moody not only because of KD and Kyrie, but also guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Chris LeVert, a couple of these guys, it's going to be a change for them in terms of their role, right? All of a sudden, those shots that you're used to getting disappear. How do you respond to that? But to me, it's all about the injuries. Like KD obviously coming off an Achilles, you never know how he's going to quite respond. I'm sure he'll be great. His size and shooting ability, obviously, is going to help him transition back and then Kyrie he's always hurt always seems to be relatively small things but he's always hurt a shoulder an ankle a knee his eye like there's always something he had the nose thing like I don't know if it's just bad luck or what but he is always hurt if he's healthy like if they're both healthy I don't think they're gonna be a top two seed in the east to be honest but they'll be a top two team in the East. So I don't think throughout the regular season they're going to amass enough wins to get that top seed because of the load management that's going to be there for Kyrie. I'm sure he's going to miss a couple games because of injury. And then KD probably just taking it slow. That team will need time to gel together. But I do think they can challenge the Bucks. At the same time, I think it's just setting up for like a disappointing – Brooklyn Nets kind of finished to the season and I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed <laughs> just that it doesn't end up working out it's going to be a big what if you know you you hear those names on paper they're going to the east the easier conference and if I had to bet money I'd say nothing really of consequence is going to come from it hopefully I'm wrong on that but I don't know we'll see let's move to the Celtics and the Sixers this was a lot more of a compelling series before the Ben Simmons injury. I do think with that injury, though, it can free up the Sixers to really have Embiid just go crazy. Now, he's a frustrating player, and at times it looks like he wants to be the best player in the league, definitely wants to talk about it. And then at times, 
he really does fit the mold of the stereotypical center that like he only plays basketball because he's good at it. I just really don't see how he could possibly love the game at an elite level and play like he does. What do you think about Embiid and the Sixers' chances to upset the Celtics in this series? I think if Simmons was playing, I think I would actually pick the Sixers to win. I think them moving him off the ball a little bit, but allowing him to kind of run the run the point with kind of the second unit and be that ball control player, but they can spread it a little more, was going to open him up to kind of be a better, even better player than he is. He's a super good defender too. So they could put him on one of their wing players for Boston and kind of help shut them down. It's probably Tatum. Embiid is, like you said, he's super frustrating. He's so good. He's probably a top 10 player in the league just generally just looking at how he plays and his body and that he's healthy considering where he came out of college and the issues about his health and everything. What his career has turned out to is pretty remarkable. I mean, sometimes when he just gets in those little funks where he's just shooting threes and not really doing a whole lot as not a, he's a below average three point shooter, even though he's seven, two or whatever. He's so good sometimes, but I just think against Boston, I think Brad Stevens is so much better of a coach. Like last night, Embiid played way too many minutes last night in the game. Like he didn't need to. Like they, they're not changing their seating. Nothing's changing. Why is he playing so late in the game? So I think Brad Stevens and just the amount of bodies that that uh, Boston has is going to end up winning this series. I think Kimba's really good. I think he is pretty, pretty good as a leader. I think he fits Boston better than what Kyrie did, even though he's not as good of a player. I think his style of play – and the way he kind of doesn't have to be as ball dominant as Kyrie did fits them a little bit better. Tatum has been an amazing player this year. He was really playing well before the restart. And then Boston has probably been the second or third best team in the bubble record-wise in the way they've played. So I think they're going to be really good. I think they're going to win it in six. I think Embiid has a couple of really big games where he can kind of push them. But I think Boston is too much, too deep too athletic and young just to not win this series. And then the next round, I think Celtics Raptors not even the best series in the playoffs just because those two teams have played each other a lot and both coaches are really good. Both teams are young and really athletic. It'll be a fun series to watch in the second round. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. The one pushback that I would have in regards to the Celtics beating the Sixers is just the health of Kimber Walker's knee and – they have nobody to match up against Embiid. Like, if Embiid really wants to take this series, I'm not saying he could put the Sixers on his back and just win the series, but I think he really could push it to seven games. I don't think that'll happen, but they have absolutely nobody to match up against him. And I know Brad Stevens is a great coach, but I think this series is going to say a lot about Embiid and the Sixers, again, should. I don't know if they will really need to make decisions after this series. Like if Embiid comes out here and just walks through the series, doesn't show much passion, is launching threes, settling for those mid-range jumpers, then I think you got to get rid of him, honestly. Like try to sell high because I think the the Sixers have they've hit the wall. Like they've hit their ceiling. Ben Simmons and Embiid don't naturally fit together. Brett Brown has not shown the ability to make it work. And I think with both guys, you question their mentality, both maturity and like their dog. I don't think either of them have it. I don't think either of them really love basketball. 
I think they both just play it because they're extremely talented and tall. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think it's kind of that simple. Like, I really would Joel Embiid play basketball if he was 6'5". I really don't think so. I mean, I think the biggest thing, like you said, is they don't mesh. They're both interior slash mid-range players who kind of need the ball in their hands a decent amount to be effective, but don't space the court in an NBA where you need to space the court. You can't play Ben Simmons at point guard if you don't have any shooting around him and they don't have any shooting around him. You can't build a team around Embiid if you don't have shooting around him and your point guard is a 6'9 power forward who shoots with his wrong hand. You just you don't have you don't have the team built in the right way. You got a lot of really good players on your team, but like Tobias Harris is really good. Al Horford is a good player. He's a little older, but he's a good player. They have good players on their team, but it doesn't fit. And last year with a Jimmy Butler, they had that one guy, like you said, that has that dog that is going to push that team. And they came the closest to beating the Raptors. I mean, they took an incredible shot by Kawhi to win that series. If that team wins that series, we might be talking about this completely differently. Butler might not have went to Miami. It might have been a different, completely different East right now. But Simmons hurt. I don't see them pushing Boston enough, even with Embiid being he, – he, he's going to have a couple games where he wins the game for them. But I don't see them having enough perimeter help in three-point shooting to end up winning this series. Yeah, I'm with you. The, the lack of the three-point shooting, Simmons being hurt, and Embiid's unreliability makes it to where you've got to lean towards the Celtics, especially with the coaching advantage. I think you're right. With the Celtics-Raptors matchup should be awesome to watch especially for, like, basketball purists. There's not the biggest names, obviously, in that matchup. But from a coaching perspective, a roster construction perspective, I think that'll be an awesome series. And then lastly, let's touch on the Pacers and the Heat. To me, it comes down to Butler and Bam. I think there is a bit of a fit issue with those two, but I do think that the Heat are just going to play harder They've got the three-point shooters, and they're going to end up being the Pacers in six games. I have a Heat in six. Um, it's going to be a fun matchup. The four or five is usually kind of fun, but these two teams don't really like each other. Um, TJ Warren and Jimmy Butler really don't like each other, and so there is probably going to be some beef, and especially with TJ Warren being one of the kind of breakout players of the bubble. It should be a fun series. Miami's really good this year. Eric Spolster is probably the most underrated coach in the league. He, what he does every single year in and out is really incredible. And the Heat are really aligning themselves to get Giannis next year. Like, they're really – like, I know they're one of the three teams they're saying outside of Milwaukee that has a really good shot at getting him next year just for, like, people's – that's the rumors going around right now. Like, Miami's chances of Giannis are one of the higher teams that's if Milwaukee doesn't win at finals this year. They also are looking at trying to get Victor Oladipo, too, from the Pacers. And I know there was some talk about Oladipo being really, really friendly with the Heat players after their last Pacers, the last game of the bubble. The Heat are deep. They're young. They got some really good shooters. Um, Duncan Robinson can really shoot the ball. Tyler Hero has been a good player. Jimmy Butler finally has a team that fits his style, where like he's not pissed off all the time and is that way because he doesn't like who he's playing with. He likes playing with this team. He likes the coach. He likes Miami. Um, and he's a good player. Bam Adebayo is the best shot of any team to have one player match up with Giannis in the East for sure. Um, 
they beat Milwaukee two out of three times this year, even though the last time Milwaukee beat them pretty bad in the bubble. I just think that the Heat are going to win this series six, maybe five even, but I think in six, and then push Milwaukee in the second round because they've been able to push Milwaukee all season. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a bad matchup for Milwaukee. In regards to picking up either Oladipo or Giannis, I think Oladipo is far more likely for the Heat to get. Giannis would be awesome, but don't you think it just would not fit at all? Like, I feel like you can't have Butler, Bam, and Giannis. Now, that's obviously better than just Butler and Bam. But to me, you start running into a Sixers-esque problem where your ball-dominant guys in Giannis and Butler both can't shoot. Bam's a great rim runner and, and in that role, but he can't shoot either. You're talking about your three best players that you would want to be on the court all at the same time and none of them can shoot. That's going to make it tougher on a Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero to get their shots up. I don't know. I'm just not quite sure about that fit. I'm still thinking the Warriors are going to pull something off for Giannis. I've also seen I, – I mean, I don't think the Heater – like, I agree with you. I don't think the Heater are the best fit for Giannis. I just know Pat Riley can do some crazy things, as we've seen. Um, even this last year, getting Butler with no cap space is pretty crazy, being able to pull that off. I have seen that the Mavs are one of those teams. Like, they're the other – the Warriors, the Heat, and the Mavs are the three teams outside of Milwaukee that apparently have a really good chance. And Giannis on that Mavs team would be very scary because they have shooting. They have size. They have a good offense. But he adds that layer of watch this dude work, and he adds that defense that they haven't had. He's the best. He might be the best defender in the league as well with his length and his athleticism. So I've seen that as like the other kind of sneaky pick and stuff like that. But I also think he doesn't want to go somewhere where he is going to be the best player, but like he's like joining a superpower like Kevin Durant did. I think he likes the I'm going to do it with where I am. I think he stays in Milwaukee, honestly. I think he likes playing in Milwaukee. I think he likes what's going on there. I don't think he cares about the super big market because at this point you market off of social media and stuff the market you're in really doesn't matter as much i hope he leaves milwaukee because he's not winning a championship in milwaukee it's not happening it's not happening they aren't getting any better players you can't win a championship with chris middleton as your number two if your number one can't shoot you know if he struggles at times to create for himself i just don't think that's going to happen the mavs is definitely that's probably the place that i would hope that he goes because obviously Luke is great, easily a top 10 player in the league for me, but he's pretty unestablished. So I think if he goes there, it will be viewed a little bit differently. And I think it's just a perfect fit. I think you play him at the five, you've got Porzingis at the four. So you've got an absolutely massive front court right there. And Luke could run in the point. You could have Giannis basically the way that you – overlap the minutes you could have him play basically like backup point guard when Luke is off the court I think that would be a perfect matchup just like you said he would bring the defense that they need and I think the offense would explode even more you talk about having great shooting and then you add Giannis to the mix if he's the one guy that can't shoot he's going to absolutely collapse the defense in the paint and then kick it out to everybody I mean one wrinkle that will be interesting for the Mavs and how they move forward is Hardaway like what to do with him. He's been like amazing, 
which is kind of weird. And then obviously his contract, that's what I think is the toughest part on teams and why you see a lot of these teams, if they don't have a true bona fide number one that can actually get it done in the playoffs, which for me, honestly, you probably got to be like a top five player to actually be the number one in your team and get it done in the playoffs. Like if you don't have that and you start paying guys like a Tim Hardaway too much money, you're going to handcuff yourself to being a middle of the road team, which I think is no man's land in the NBA and absolutely not where you want to be because you aren't improving your team through the draft. The team like the Mavs have struggled to get free agents. So that'll be interesting for sure. Uh, One last thing I wanted to hit on is I really believe that the NBA needs to have round one be only a five-game series. And I looked up ESPN's little write-up on the first-round playoff matchups really quick, and their expert picks, every single matchup was unanimous, except the OKC versus Rockets. And it's just like – it was 16 people too. Like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't just – you know, three experts. It was 16. So yeah. 16 people voted all for the same exact winner in each matchup except OKC Rockets, which just to me goes to show the flaw in the system where I think they really need to take it down to five-game series. They probably won't ever do it because of the TV money. But, I mean, what do you think about that? I actually looked it up before this. I just I, – for some reason I thought they did do it for the bubble just to shorten the playoffs. I thought they did do five games, which I agree completely. I looked that up too, and I was like, they have every series and the play-in games except the Lakers because they don't know who they're playing yet listed. And every single one except that last one was – I kept scrolling. I'm like, all right, somebody's going to pick somebody different, right? And it kept being unanimous, unanimous. I'm like, geez. All right, so every series is chalk pretty much too. I know people were thinking that it might be a weird bubble restart playoffs where like some teams I'm like it's you know NBA ends up being chalk it's the best teams win because that's usually how it works like the best players on the best teams in basketball if you play seven games that player is going to end up making more impact than anybody else so I think it's that's pretty I, I like the five I think it's better I think if they do a 16 teams instead of just eight and eight and they go best 16 and then do a five game first round the playoffs would be even more competitive instead of the eight the conference playoffs and doing it that way where the seven game first round series. And it's like, okay, you got the Pacers, whoever on NBA TV every game, because nobody wants to watch it. Yeah. And it's like, do we really need seven games for the Bucks versus the magic or the Raptors versus the Nets? Like we just don't need that. If you're worried about your big name teams, like the Lakers, let's say get knocked off in the first round. Well, then you make it to where, the top seed gets four home playoff games in the five-game series. I would have no problem with that either. Like, if you want to do the top seed gets games one and two at home, you play game three on the road and you get four and five at home to make it to where, you know, you won't have too many upsets because it would really yeah. suck if, like, the Magic did upset the Bucks. But I just think it's a move that they need to do, although they probably won't, just because I know in a typical year – the playoffs just drag on forever. And I think it also just helps contribute that little bit more to players getting injured late in the playoffs. And we just see it far too often that injuries decide the finals and that sucks. 
time, to be honest. Yeah. Like that's yeah. just something that I feel like we need to avoid. And if they can give up just a little bit in TV money, then we'll have a better product overall. Oh yeah, I agree. All right. Well, I appreciate you joining me. Went a little long as always, but I'm really looking forward to these playoffs. Um, it should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Bolstered Up Sports Podcast. I'm Brian Bolster. Please follow me on Instagram at bolstered underscore up underscore sports and on Twitter at BS underscore takes. Please share, rate, review, and subscribe. I've got a lot of great content that's coming up here soon. Make sure to check out my articles on The Ryan Show. My first one broke down the Tennessee Titans offense and Ryan Tannehill. I'm going to have another coming out really soon, breaking down the Titans' newest addition at running back, App State alum, Darrington Evans, and my next podcast episode is going to be a followers hot take episode. So make sure to get your hot takes prepared and go ahead. You can DM those to me and I'll make a post about that here shortly. Again, thank you.